This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. Good morning, you're listening to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. We're entering the fourth day of political negotiations to form the next government of Malaysia. Neither Perikatan National nor Pakatan Harapan have managed to secure a simple majority. Discussions are expected to continue today at the Istana Negara as the King tries to ascertain who commands the confidence of the majority of the Dewan Rakyat to become Prime Minister in line with the federal constitution. At the same time, the extreme and polarised views coming out on social media raises questions about the fabric of Malaysian society and whether it's unravelling. To help make sense of the developments so far, with me today are Meredith Wise, Professor of Political Science at the State University of New York, and Muhammad Dajuddin Rasti, Professor of Architecture at UCSI, as well as education activist and columnist. Meredith Dajuddin, welcome to the show. Thanks. Now, Meredith, I'd like to start with you. The fact that it's taking so long for a government to be formed, is this a sign of democracy in action or that democracy has broken down? What does this current situation reflect about the state of the Malaysian political system overall, in your view? I'll take the optimistic perspective that this reflects democracy in action, that in fact, the Rakyat of Malaysia have exercised their choice, which is to choose from more than the two coalitions that have previously been on offer, that they've decided that it's good to have more choices, but that then makes a a resolution decidedly difficult because of the level of polarization and rhetoric and policies to some extent across these different options. Dajudin, what about you? Do you share a similar view? Do you think this is democracy in action rather than democracy that has broken down? Well, uh, if you've been married for... 34, 35 years, you'd know that uh, there's no such thing as uh, quote-unquote unity. There's always uh, differences, and the key is to live with differences, uh, respect uh, uh, certain views, and I think this is the failure of Malaysian education system. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm a harsh critic of the of the uh, university education, school of education, and uh, for all the length of time that I have been there, I, I, I don't think we teach that. We do not teach uh, honoring differences, respect for others, um, you know, dignity to all. What we have done is simply to create an identity of self within an ethno-religious construct and also the idea of an industry-based education where humanity, humanism, you know, goes out into uh, the window. And then we wondered why we have so much pollution and, and this flash flood business is nothing to do with the uh, flash flood. We know the rains and things like that, but it's just uh, greed and, uh, and, and unchecked uh, development is the cause. So what we're seeing today really is the culmination of, of not something that's happening overnight, but really um, that's been happening over decades, this perhaps lack of um, looking at how we address differences within our society in a genuine way. Um, I want to talk about some of the developments that we've seen overnight, and particularly looking at Barisan National, the 30 MPs uh, that many were seeing as the deciding factor in whether the government is formed by PN or PH. Dajudin, were you surprised by BN's decision yesterday afternoon to remain neutral and not take sides? Do you think that they made the right call, in your opinion? Well, the right call depends on which camp. You know that we have two camps there. We have the Hishamuddin uh, Ismail camp, uh, and also we have the Zahid Hamidi camp. Now, I have written an article which hasn't been published yet. Um, it's called, uh, uh, 
BN MPs uh, working for the nation or serving the nation or serving themselves. Now, of course, uh, uh, politicians always serve themselves. This, this is no secret. That, that's fine. But when you're serving yourself and that puts the nation at risk at something, then, then that's something that uh, is, uh, is not proper. Mm. We, we know that Hishamuddin uh, 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 and uh, gang uh, are using the defeat of UMNO to oust uh, Zahid Hamidi. And uh, also, um, uh, we, we, we know of that the defeat is not caused because of Zahid Hamidi, it's because of the sabotage within UMNO. We can see Kairi Jamaluddin attacking uh, you know, Zahid openly and things like that. I mean, I mean, for the first time, I was worried about Barisan National uh, losing a lot. And I've been uh, writing against Barisan National for like 20 years. You know? So, but uh, this is uncalled for, for, for a, a party to do, to do that. Meredith, what about you? What do you think this indicates about the internal discussion going on within Barisan National and more specifically UMNO? I mean, how telling was it that the decision to stay out of the government coalition, it didn't come from the party president. It came from other members within the party. I think above all else, as as Prof. Tajunin suggests, it really reflects a level of disunity within UMNO and the BN more broadly. So it, it's worth noting that the MCA and MIC separately, their, their whole three seats that they control, um, did say that they chose to stay within the opposition because they're re- re- reflecting and respecting the will of the people. That actually seems to me a potentially principled stand. But it's also, as Prof. Tajunin notes, self-serving in as much as they have very little to gain by participating in either of these options. If they're part of Prikatan as the few non-Malay representatives, yes, they offer some window dressing of unity, but they're unlikely to to make much headway in what would be an extraordinarily Malay unity-based government. If they're with Pakatan, they will be overshadowed by the DAP as well as Ka'adilan, and they are non-Malay members. So in that sense, they they can let the good of the country align with their self-interest. Mm. For the Malay, though, members of of Barisan and specifically of UMNO, I I think it's it's a strategic decision to be coy at this point, but I would be honestly quite surprised if they did not in the end, especially if pushed by the king, decide to align with the coalition, if only because being in government makes it much easier to succeed as a politician than being out of government. The, the risk then, though, is that as happened in 2018 after GE14, they might simply defer the renewal and reform within the party that really needs to happen. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is the root of, of the current disunity and much of their loss of support at this point. If we take a look at what um, is happening over at Istana Nagara, the king has taken a proactive approach in resolving the current political impasse, very similar to what was done during the Sheraton move of 2020. Meredith, what do you make of the fact that the king has asked to speak with the 30 BN MPs? And what exactly do you think he's trying to ascertain at this stage? I think in some ways he's trying to play a moderating and leveling approach in order to move past some of the polarizing rhetoric that may be getting in the way of more sincere negotiations. This is obviously not a highly democratic approach. It's one that takes an unelected leader and puts him in the position of being literally the the kingmaker and the king. Um, But at the same time, that may actually be necessary given how how much at odds the rhetoric and the reality of the need to coalesce may be 
So it's not an ideal way to proceed, but it may be an important step past the current impasse to at least allow discernment of what the core preferences are of each of these players within this potential negotiation, this potential coalition agreement, and what what possibilities really are still on the table, even if there's a lot of shouting about their impossibility. Do you think the king's involvement helps or hinders the process, Dajudin, from your perspective? Well, I am not in the habit of uh, talking about kings and royalties because in Malaysia that could get you into a lot of trouble. And uh, I am also uh, having the idea that uh, our problem is the people's problem. And uh, because we have these differences between the royalty and us, we need to solve things ourselves. And uh, But I need to tip my hat off to this king because... Uh, I mean, he just said no to Muhyiddin, okay, with his uh, 115 SDs. I mean, that, that is something which is uh, not many people uh, would be willing to do. And so uh, I think um, I, I agree with a lot of the analysts, uh, political analysts saying that uh, conventionally you'd have to uh, appoint Anwar Ibrahim to be the uh, minority government, okay? But I think he's, he's taking a fatherly role of... Uh, so-called disputing children, perhaps, uh, you know, and, and trying to mediate and, and remind them that it is the nation comes first because Barisan National has been, you know, uh, 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 leading the country for a very long time. They, unlike Bersatu, they have a long track record. Bersatu is just an opportunistic uh, 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 party. They don't have any ideology. They have just, uh, as I said, uh, opportunities uh, to take over something uh, you know uh, that that is beneficial only for them. So, so yes, I I, I think that the, the king is uh, uh, doing a good job at it, and I I hope that after this, if uh, Barisan National today they want to uh, you know uh, extend the thing, enough extension. I mean, it's either appoint the uh, Anwar Ibrahim or talk to those GPS people. Okay, so that's the only thing because GPS and GRS, they don't have the internal problem that Barisan National have. I don't think we should be wasting time Barisan National, you know, you know, the, the heck with them. You know, that, that, that's, uh, that's it. They had their chance to be in government. They don't want. All right. So that's one very clear stance there. Meredith, what do you think are the implications of a proactive monarch for the country's political system? Does it set a precedent um, for the future? Is this what we're going to be expecting um, in all situations of hung parliament, perhaps? It could set a precedent because we have seen an increasing role for the monarch uh, more at the level of state sultans rather than the agong within Malaysian politics, at least since after the 2008 election with the Perak state, state level crisis. But Certainly with the changes of government over the last few years, we've also seen a more assertive agong within Malaysian politics. So this helps to enhance that precedent in the role that he's taking this time. It's not necessarily, again, a positive sentiment for specifically the goal of enhancing democracy. But if it increases a level of stability within politics, it's not necessarily then a bad precedent. Mm -hmm. In other words, it depends on what the goal is. So it's, it's a role that it may be useful to have, given the level of polarizing rhetoric and the, the real disagreements ideologically, at least between PAS and, and um, Pakatan Harapan. I, w- I will completely agree with Prof. Tajudin that Bursatu is a new party and fairly absent ideological perspective. That said, most of its members have served in UMNO or, and or in other parties in the past. So in other words, they have that same experience. I wouldn't say UMNO is highly ideological at this point either. 
But so if having this other influence, this unelected overarching influence can help politics to move forward, that may be useful, but it's probably not a great long-term solution in terms of how Malaysia settles its political disputes or how it reaches a level of political stability. If this means that we end up with a unity government that's unable to govern, the monarch can't be the one to be stepping in at every policy dispute. So we do need to have the parties work out their differences before we declare or he declares a government established. I'm speaking to Meredith Wise, Professor of Political Science at the State University of New York, and Muhammad Tajuddin Rasdi, Professor of Architecture at UCSI, as well as columnist on the political developments post-GE15. We're taking a quick break. We'll have more from this conversation when we come back. Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. Thanks for staying tuned to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar, and I'm reflecting on political developments in the country post-GE15 with Meredith Weiss, Professor of Political Science at the State University of New York, and Muhammad Dajuddin Rasti, Professor of Architecture at UCSI, as well as columnist with the Sinchu Daily and the Star. Now, I would like to ask you, Tajuddin, um, with regards to the proposal for unity government that came up um, following the talks at Istana Nagara yesterday, Brigitte National rejected outright the proposal for a unity government with Pakatan Harapan. Do you think that this was a mistake? Could a PNPH unity government have worked if both parties were willing at this point? Uh, the uh, short answer is no. And the uh, uh, reason is very simple. It's all selfishness, narrow-mindedness, and uh, uneducated understanding of religion and its relation to nation building. First of all, we can see that there's so desperado attempt by uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Mohyuddin or Mahiyadin, uh, to actually become prime minister. I mean, that is so blatant. And also uh, to simply reject. And, you know, he went in and then went out very, very short. Okay. So no discussion whatsoever. And we can see his track record of uh, in the previous uh, administration where he uh, was asked by the king to, you know, uh, uh, to, to uh, table the emergency as well as also prove his numbers. He didn't do that. Okay, or he delayed and delayed and delayed. So, so that shows the character, uh, uh, the character of the person. That's number one. Number two, we have again bersatu, has no ideology except for opportunism, and uh, then we have past. Past used to be well because of their, you know, having liberals. I was part of, I supported past for thirty years, and uh, now I don't, of course, because uh, now they're left with this ustas uh, teachers who only has one very small view of Islam and has no, I mean, the education of Islam, the problem in this country is that they do not teach about Islam and nation building. They only teach a bit of respect and tolerance, uh, uh, just enough, but not uh, a spiritual aspect of how uh, Islam actually supports this. Uh, and I, I, I know I can lecture on, on this subject, even though I'm not a Nusta, but I have wide reading and, and I can do that. But of course, uh, Malays listens only to so-called religious scholars, and uh, they don't listen to people like me. And but uh, Abim and Ikram, being the uh, you know the foremost Islamic reformist movement, is very quiet. And Amana is a completely useless party. Um, I mean, they should just close down. I've told that many times. They are not taking the counter narrative to to us, and 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 this is uh, the problem of of where we are facing now. 
I mean, Tajuddin, how much of the right-wing Islamic narrative do you think is really um, because is this, is is religion the real reason um, that so many Malay swing voters threw their support behind Pasen Bersatu, or is it more of a rejection of Amno? How do we parse the reasons why voters voted the way they did these elections? Well, talking about Malays and Islam, wish I had an hour, but uh, you know, I'll just you have two it. minutes. <laughs> Okay, number one, uh, I never agreed with the Undi 18. Okay, I said this is a stupid idea because I know what these people are, have been taught in schools as well as in the first three years of the university and even up to PhD. So, so that was a, a, a totally big mistake. You don't have a curriculum. I've asked for a curriculum for political, you know, understanding the the idea of nation building, meaning sharing the nation. You know, they, they don't have it at all. All right, and though in the university. Uh, the MPU subjects, they are just, uh, as long as you pass, it's okay. You know? And the teachers, they are not the best of teachers in the, in the university. So, so it's coming from, from this kind of people. That, that's number one. The others are, are coming from the civil servants uh, who, who is always beholding to this, uh, to this uh, uh, so-called lay Islam. And well, also many of my generation uh, are now becoming pensioners. You know? they, are, they are retired. Uh, in the in the olden days, when I saw them in the United States, they're drinking alcohol in the nightclub. Now they are they are running the you know going to mosques for praying. And when I want to talk to them about nation building, they say, "No time, Tajuddin. We 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 are very close to the grave, and we want to go to heaven." And then so they just want to do all the rituals, and so they hire ustas to come and teach them. So they are getting the children's curriculum of Islam, but then you know uh, they when when issues of uh, nation building comes up they will always uh, think that it is better for them to side with the idea of defending Islam. And so, so this is a, a major problem. I've wrote it about it, but nobody really seems to care <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, about these things. What, what do you see, Meredith, when you do your research on the ground, when you talk to people? How mm -hmm. do you see this playing out, I guess, within the broader society of Malaysia? I think there are two ways to look at Perikatan Nasional. I mean, certainly more than two, but two primary ones for this election. One is... POS supporters, so even Amana supporters, for instance, with whom I spoke, or campaign managers for Amana campaigns, asserted, even though they, they themselves are past POS members, that these are immovable voters, that because of the machinery that POS has for maintaining its messaging, for persuading its voters to see things as its Ustaz leaders, leadership does, as Prof. Jin has mentioned, that they can maintain a tight line. Um, and it, as I, I would agree, that it seems to be an increasingly, increasingly narrow line on questions of political priorities and so forth. So that's one side. I think the PAS voters for Perikatan were very much voting for PAS. I think for the, the rise in support for Bersatu, though, is hard to attribute to to Bersatu's own performance. They themselves, again, on the ground, speaking with people in Bersatu campaigns, said it was past machinery that was helping them along. And Bersatu, as its members note, is a new party without an established base of its own. So in that sense, those might be, and, and it's impossible right now to separate which Prikatan voters were from which side. But certainly beyond the East Coast, where Prikatan ran as PAS under the Bulan and where it has a, such a strong base, I think some of that growth in the rest of Semenanjung really reflected more a protest vote against UMNO and does not necessarily signal a firm commitment to a particular ideological or policy line. And that's because I think there was some sense in which, yes, a Malay government may be the goal. 
but that can be achieved through any of several options this time around. And that itself, as Prof. Tajudin notes, reflects itself a, a fairly narrow view of Malaysia's potential or of the different ways that one could organize a government in Malaysia. Meredith, do you see a pathway for Perikata National to form government at this stage? I mean, they rejected a unity government with Pakatan Harapan. Relations with BN don't seem to be allowing for a formal pact either. Is there a route um, that they can take to form government without any compromise the way they seem intent to? Not without compromise. There would have to be a fairly significant compromise. Moreover, I think that that compromise would be equally difficult on both sides. So my initial take when the results came in was that there would be a basically a version of the the administration we've just had, which would be essentially BN plus PN plus the Borneo bloc of GPS and GRS. It became quite clear that an alliance between BN and PN would require more than simply the idea of Malay unity. And I think a lot of that has to do with the relative position and relative strength of UMNO vis-a-vis PAS. And for neither partner, but especially for UMNO, is that really a, a palatable idea? The other issue here, Prof. Jadun has mentioned how eager Mohidin is to become prime minister again. We can say the same about a whole set mm. of potential prime ministerial candidates. Um, so in that sense, the personalities themselves will also get in the way. So I don't see that currently as a particularly workable outcome, or rather if that were to be the outcome we end up with, perhaps because of the impetus the king offers, I don't think that would lead to a stable or enduring government. Mm. There have been calls for a statesman-type figure, someone who can bring politicians on both sides of the aisle together. Dajudin, do you see anyone who can play that role in the current crop of leaders right now? I think the uh, uh, personality such as Anwar Ibrahim, uh, I have never spoken to him, but I've read his material. And as a Muslim and also part of the Islamic reformists, uh, we, we have certain values uh, from Islam where we learn from the Prophet Muhammad. Unlike most Malays, they learn from Ustaz, they don't learn from the Prophet. So uh, if you notice that uh, uh, Anwar doesn't use race or religious uh, rhetoric, it doesn't use you know uh, personality things like uh, you know as if you are you are playing with some women and things like that. He he doesn't use those things, and uh, I think a person like him can actually play the statesman uh, role. But he but hasn't if, been able to. There's a, a there's a vociferous objection to Anwar taking lead of the government. Uh, being a statesman uh, in the sense that uh, having the values uh, of what is uh, what is a Muslim and what is a, a Malay and a Malaysian, uh, I think you need to, to 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 look at his life rather than just a few uh, certain places. You, if you watch Anwar in a university uh, um, lecture, it will be different. If you watch him in a in a in a public lecture, he knows that he has to. Uh, um, you know, play to the a bit of to the gallery to the Malay because Malays uh, are not educated to accept this higher idea of Islam that is actually beyond the idea of identity constructs. I mean, you have you can read the Asian Renaissance as well as others uh, of his uh, of his of his speeches. So in 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 that way, um, I think that he can play the statesman role. But people like Muhyiddin, people like Zahid Hamidi, people like uh, Hishamuddin Tonusin on. Sorry, lah. These people are not statesmen. We only have about a minute left on the clock. Um, this is a question for both of you. It's clear that Malaysians are living different realities, even within the same country. What do you think the next government or the leaders of political parties <coughs> or civil society, what do they need to do in order to rebuild a national consensus that doesn't seem to be present at the moment? We'll start with Meredith. We'll end with Tajuddin. 
I think perhaps the most productive way forward would be to look at their manifestos, to take those seriously as real documents, which is not necessarily always the case. Find the points of commonality amongst whoever ends up in the final governing coalition and really develop a plan of action that targets those specific issues. That would allow the government actually to accomplish something and to target real needs most likely starting with specific economic development, job creation, green economy, and so forth goals that Malaysia really needs to pursue. And that really are not so hard on which to find agreement across coalitions. Dajidin? Well, uh, yes, that would appeal to to, uh, only one group. But as I said, uh, in my article just after the uh, uh, the win in GE14, I said Islam is going to be the battleground. All right, and and you need a narrative. And I had suggested to Mujahid Rawa that you have to retrain a hundred ustas, send them to New Zealand somewhere where there's no Muslim. You know, they have to, you know, live a life of a minority and and, and take up uh, mass communication or anthropology other than this. These are the only people who can change the the, the narrative. I mean, you can talk about all the policies uh, with respect to to what Meredith have said. I mean, of course, that is the right way, but it is not going to happen. Nothing is going to happen. If somebody throws in the past a ketuanan Melayu, but now it's already a ketuanan Islam, and that, or that is really worse ten times than than the uh, ketuanan Melayu construct. And so, so attention must be paid. I have written quite a lot about how this might happen, but as I said, uh, it has been ignored uh, by by the so-called authorities. Again, we've only managed to scratch the surface of all the issues at play in our country, but thank you both very much for your insights. I've been speaking to Meredith Wise, Professor of Political Science at the State University of New York, and Muhammad Dajudin Rasti, Professor of Architecture at US- UCSI and columnist. This has been The Breakfast Grill on BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill is brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G now with you. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.